if there is teaching that needs to be done in the church, if there is Bible teaching that needs to be in the church, it should be the pastor. If, if someone is ill, if someone is in the hospital and, and they need a visit, it, it needs to be the pastor. Ta- capital T, the, capital P, the pastor. Uh, what else? You know, if anybody needs any counseling, the only person with wisdom to give out counseling, biblical counseling, and help you with your life in the church family is the pastor. I'm glad there's chuckles. I'm going to keep going anyway. If we have a church event, and you know, all church events need to start with prayer, and if anybody's going to pray, it has to be the pastor. Oh, now I've got you participating. And, and when God, when, when God uh, brought Jesus back from his earthly ministry, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and before he ascended into heaven, when he gave those, those super important words, the, what we know as the Great Commission, when among his last words to us, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Hey, Jesus followers, help other people become followers of Jesus. Well, what Jesus meant by that was we ought to let the paid people do it. If, if there's a country in the world that has never heard about Jesus, let's pay a missionary, they can go. And if we're the local church family that knows that we ought to evangelize, that we ought to share our faith with the world around us, let's hire people and pay them to do it. Oops, now I'm hurting feelings. Okay, I'm glad there was some laughter. I'm glad there was some uncomfortableness. I hope there's some disagreement because the, uh, the statements I just made, I don't agree with. The statements I just made fit in with something I do resonate with. The statements I just made fit in with an idea from an author, pastor I follow, who refers to that, what I just described, as the holy man myth. And it has been, it has been a passion of mine for years in ministry to be part of dispelling the holy man myth. Are you with me? The holy man myth would seem to indicate as if there was, as if pastors, as if the paid people are the only ones with a direct line to God, as if somehow my connection to God is more significant than any of you who follow Jesus. The holy man myth would say um, that, that, that there's some kind of, you know, that my leadership gifts or my role in this church family somehow mean better, higher, superior spiritual life. That must be what it means. That's the holy man myth. Church family, Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of Faith Church. And, and yes, our church family is blessed by leaders who are called and gifted to lead, to shepherd, to serve. And we have a church family full of Holy Spirit-empowered ministers of the gospel. And we're going to talk more about that as we go today. But first, um, help me with this. I want to see if you will give me some examples. When it comes to ministry here at Faith Church, is ministry a team sport or an individual sport? What, I'm curious, I'm sincerely curious, what has been your experience? What are your observations? And I want to even take a minute to hear a couple. If you have an observation here, is ministry at Faith Church been a team sport or an individual sport? And, 
and whatever you think it has been. Yeah, maybe some of both, for sure. I heard that. Give me, give me if you would, an example of what makes you feel like you've observed ministry at Faith Church as a team sport. Oh, sorry, Sunday school teachers, yes. A variety of people using uh, their spir- spiritual gifts and empowered by God to help facilitate Bible teaching. Thanks, Jared. Love you guys. So sorry for that. Yeah, it, it didn't have to be me that showed up, did it? For God to show up. It didn't have to be me as the voice in the emails or the calls for this church to care. I love that example. Whew. Now I might not be able to talk. <laughs> Any other examples that you think of when you've seen, uh, as you've observed ministry at Faith Church, how have you seen it to be a team sport? Women's ministry? Okay, and I think, I'm guessing you're, you're talking about multiple people using various gifts and talents and energies to, to serve and make the ministry to ladies happen. Yeah, great example. Not just one person making it happen. Michael? Yeah, tech team, uh, multiple people, multi- every week, different people, different gifts, different roles. Awesome. Growth life groups, um, uh, also showing significant responsibility and ministry in homes, and maybe there's not a staff person present. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've seen, you know, when the facility needs help or things are seen to be done, just seeing God uh, have a team of people, uh, of all of our church family, jumping and, and serving and helping. Cool. There you go. Yeah, lots of our serving teams, volunteers, making things happen behind the scenes, up front. Um, this is how the church functions. I appreciate those examples. And, and, uh, and even the way our church is, is led, uh, our, our group, our leadership team is a group of elders, a team of elders of which I am one. Uh, we have a staff team of highly gifted, capable, called, Jesus-loving people that serve in so many different ways. And so um, I just wanted us to kind of be encouraged about that, that, that ministry in our church family is a, is a team sport, not an individual sport. We are in a series of messages that we've entitled Hallways because we are asking God to show us this summer what are some hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. And if you're not aware, I want, I want some of you that are newer to be aware of this, what is probably most customary around here, the great majority of the time on Sunday morning when it comes to teaching the Bible, most commonly we are teaching passage by passage through a book of the Bible. Uh, but that is not the case this summer. We're doing it a little differently this summer. We're taking 10 Sundays this summer to talk about these hallways. Uh, as a, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God himself lives within you. From the point of your conversion, when you became a follower of Jesus, the Spirit lives in you. And yet the Bible exhorts us to be filled. There are these times, there are these ways to uh, where we are more filled with the Spirit, to be changed by God and to be used by God in service to Him. And so we're asking God to show us this summer, what are some of these hallways 
where the Spirit is active so that we can put ourselves in a place to be filled. Um, and I think even this summer is a good example of, of, of uh, ministry being a team sport. There's 10 Sundays in this series. I will teach five of them, and five other people will each teach one. Now, what's most customary around here, I, typically over the course of a whole year, I teach about two out of three times. But it's summer, and so just like some of you that disappear, I'm going to use some vacation time. And so it's not just for vacation time, though, that we need others to teach. It's because this is a passion of mine to dispel the holy man myth, right? Can we hear from God through his word, through voices other than mine? I sure hope so, because otherwise you're in trouble. Okay. So, what about access to God? Does, do I alone have a direct line to God? No. Uh, in fact, um, the Bible teaches an idea called the priesthood of all believers. And before we explain what the New Testament teaches about a, the priesthood of all believers, I want to give the background. The background would be in the Old Testament times, when it came to God's people, in the Old Testament, when God uh, asked his people to confess their sin, they were asked to make a sacrifice. Well, to make a sacrifice of an animal, they had to go through the priest to make the sacrifice. And so the priest really became, the, these multiple priests became the mediators between God's people and God. In order to offer a sacrifice, you went to the, to the priest. And the priest really was a representative of the people to God. It was the priest who had access to the sacred space in God's temple where, where only the priest could go in and, and represent the people and pray for the people and bring the sacrifices. And so that was the situation. That was, that, that was God's plan. That was God's arrangement for access to him in the Old Testament. But the Bible teaches in the New Testament, Ephesians teaches, that we, in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, have access to the Father. Did you hear that? We, individual followers of Jesus, have access to God through the Father. First Timothy tells us there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. No need for a human mediator. And then on the screen, we'll see 1 Peter 2.9. It says this, but you, followers of Jesus, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, don't miss this. Why, why is it the priesthood of all believers? Why, why do you have direct access to God? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the light. That you, church family, that you individual followers of Jesus, you are a priest, you have access to God, you are a minister of God, you have the opportunity to proclaim the excellencies that we remind each other of all the time around here. The gospel is the spectacular good news that proclaims these excellencies. That God rescues sinners like you and I, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Those are the excellencies that we get to proclaim. Those, that, that is why the church and body of believers is to be a light into darkness, to be conduits of God's love to our spheres of influence and proclaimers of the great news of Jesus. So, 
with the priesthood of all believers in mind, with knowing you are a spirit-empowered minister, with knowing that you have direct access to God and that he wants to work in you and through you, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hope you bring a Bible with you, whether it's a paper Bible or your device that you can open a Bible app and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. We usually don't put all the scripture passages on the screen. I would love and prefer you to follow along in God's word by putting your finger in the text. And as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me ask another Question, even if it's a ridiculous question, is the pastor in the church the only one that can minister and serve others? No. Okay, so we want to see that in God's word this morning because we've said it already that each follower of Jesus is a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 12, if you look down to verse 12, you'll find perhaps a very well-known passage to you, a passage uh, starting at 1 Corinthians 12, 12, that teaches the biblical metaphor of the body of Christ. The, 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 the caption in your Bible of that section might say, one body, what? Many parts. This metaphor in the Bible of the fact that the, that the church of God, the people of God, is the body and that each individual follower of Jesus is what? A part, a, a, a significant, important, contributing member of the body. Uh, so this metaphor gives us a lot to think about, and we can't get into the details today, but just let me remind you and, and, and encourage you that every part is critical to the body's function. Even the parts that we're not sure what they do in our body, they're critical. God made them, God put them there, God made you, he put you here. Each part of the body's contribution is significant and needed and critical. And for the body of Christ, for the church of, of God to function at its best, at its most healthy, it needs about 10% of the parts to do what they're supposed to do. No. What does your body do if you have 10% of the parts functioning properly? I wouldn't be standing up here, right? Right before that passage, let's go back to the top of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Right before that passage is, uh, are these words. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12 starting at verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, why does Paul write that? Because he's writing this letter back to a church who's asked him a bunch of questions. And so throughout 1 Corinthians, he keeps saying, now, concerning such and such, because they've asked him a question and he's answering. So here we go. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. And now the passage goes on to give some examples, a few examples of what these spiritual gifts are or what some of them are. Verse eight, for to one believer is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, and to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And by the way, that list is not exhaustive. I would suggest that there are other biblical passages that give us indicators of other spiritual gifts as well. Perhaps there's 15-ish, perhaps there's 20-ish, perhaps there's more, perhaps the Bible lists them all, perhaps it doesn't. But the idea is, is that, that God gives spiritual gifts to believers. Uh, and then verse 11, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So as we are asking God this summer to, to give us insight into some hallways where the Holy Spirit is active, I am um, teaching us this morning that I believe that, that, that utilizing our spiritual giftedness is a hallway where the Spirit is active. When we serve the church and in doing so glorify Jesus through our time and energy and the use of our spiritual gifts, I believe when you do that, you are putting yourself in a hallway where the Spirit is active. As you serve and give of your time and use your spiritual gifts, you're giving yourself an opportunity to be filled by the Spirit so that God can continue his good work in you and through you to the benefit of others. So let's go back and look a little more closely at this passage now. Verse four. I want you to look, listen, I'm gonna read verses four, five, and six one more time, and I want you to listen for some parallels. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The first parallel I want you to notice is at the end of each verse. At the end of verse four is who? Spirit. At the end of verse five is who? Lord. At the end of verse six is who? God. The fact that they are kind of, the way that this is written, the fact that they are mentioned in parallel tells me what? They are one and the same. This is the Christian theological belief of, the, of God as Trinity. I think this is one of the places we see this kind of thing. At the end of each verse, running in parallel, is Spirit, Lord, and God. Uh, Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father, indicating to us that they are one and the same, that they are equivalently God. This is the Christian belief of the Trinity. Whether we can wrap our brains around it or not, let me just rephrase that. Even though we can't wrap our brains around it, we believe in, an, in one God who exists in three persons, and we see uh, that they are equally God, that they are equally the source of our spiritual gifts here. What else do you see running in parallel? Uh, varieties of what in verse four? Gifts. Varieties of what in verse five? Service, variety of what in verse six? 
activities. And, and you're, if you're reading a different translation than me, you might find slightly different words. But the point here is, I think these words give us some insight into what a spiritual gift is. Okay, Lord, you give spiritual gifts. I have one. You want me to use it for your glory in the church. What, are, you know, what is a spiritual gift? Well, these parallels give us some idea. It's a gift. It's not something that we manufactured. It's a service. It's a, it's, it's a ministry. It's something that we, that we do to serve others in the church family and to serve the community. It's activities. It's, it's, a, it's a role. It's a supernatural giftedness so that we can live out ministry to others. And then we skip to verse 11. All of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I want us to take just a minute to notice this important distinction um, between natural and supernatural. Verse 11 tells us that it is, it is the Spirit who empowers. It says all of these gifts are empowered by the one and same Spirit. Again, I believe when we utilize our spiritual giftedness in service to the church and for the glory of Jesus. We're putting ourselves in a hallway where the Spirit is active. And as a follower of Jesus, I, I want to encourage you this summer as we look at these different hallways, ask God to show you what hallway do I need to put myself in more often. I'm, we're not saying do all 10. We're not saying your spiritual life is terrible unless you check, check box, check box, check box on all the hallways. We're asking you, where do you hear the Lord speak to you here? Where do you hear the Spirit convict you about perhaps needing to be putting yourself in a hallway to give God an opportunity to get a handle on you and work in you and through you? And one of those hallways is to use our spiritual gifts. So I want to note for a second the difference between natural and supernatural. Do all of us have God-given natural abilities? Yes, believers and non-believers those who have trusted Christ for salvation and those who have yet to find Jesus for salvation, all of all human beings, God made humans in, in his image. All human beings have these God-given natural abilities. I'm not, that's, that's not spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about those. Humans come up with skills. We, we have tendency to go to trainings and learn things and add skills. Those are great. God helps us to gain skills and utilize our skills, but that's not spiritual gifts. We all have experience over the course of life. We try things, we do things, we get better at some, we're terrible at some, we gain experience. That's not spiritual gifts. But there are these natural abilities and things that we all as humans have. And then there are the spiritual gifts that the Bible there said in verse 11 are supernatural, are God-powered, are not our own efforts, are not our own skills, something we've learned, something we try hard at. It's because we're a follower of Jesus and the Spirit lives within us, he is enabling this, this supernatural spiritual gift. Who gets the spiritual gifts? Just the pastor. Right? <laughs> no. Who gets the spiritual gifts? Just the super Christians. Just the ones who are at church every Sunday. Who gets spiritual gifts? Just the super Christians, the one that have read their Bible front to back six times in the last week. They get spiritual gifts. No. Verse 7 says, to each, 
To each follower of Jesus is given this expression of the Spirit. And the end of verse uh, 11, I think, should really encourage you as well. God has apportioned these spiritual gifts to you believers just as he wants, just according to his will. In other words, the spiritual gift that you have, follower of Jesus, whether you're aware of what it is or not, has been given to you specifically by God for his specific purposes. Is that encouraging? He apportions the spiritual gifts just as he wants to. You have this one, and he has that one, and she has that gift, and I have this, and it's just the way God arranged it for our local church and for the church across the globe of believers in Jesus. So what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? To draw attention to myself. God gave me a spiritual gift so I can look really impressive. And so I can show off to all of you. And that's what you do with your spiritual gift, I'm sure. I'm sure it's to look really impressive and draw attention to yourself. (laughs) What what do we see in the scriptures? Um, First, let me actually, before we go back to our own passage, let me put on the screen John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. And then a verse later, he says, he will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, Church family, I just want to suggest with this verse, show you that really that one of the primary ways we could describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to glorify Jesus. So if you have a spiritual, if the Since the Spirit of God lives within you, believer in Jesus, and because you have a spiritual gift, why does it exist? To glorify Jesus, to point people to Jesus, not to point to ourselves, not to make us look more impressive. And then also we get a a glimpse in our own passage this morning, verse 7 says that to each of us is given this expression of the Spirit, the spiritual gift, for what? What does it say in verse 7? For what? For the common good. First and foremost, I would say our spiritual gifts is to glorify Jesus. And as part of that, it's for the common good. It's not for me to build up myself. It's not my spiritual giftedness isn't so that I benefit. It's so that God can work in me and through me so that you benefit and that I benefit from your spiritual gifted expressions. Are you with me? For the common good, for the building of the church family, and for the mission of the church family. The mission of the church exists to be conduits of God's love to those around us and to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. And God wants you to engage. He has, he has a role for you. He's given, he's gifted you. He's put the spirit of God in you. He's given you a spiritual gift. He's called you to be a conduit of God's love to the world around you and a proclaimer of the excellencies of him who have called us out of the darkness and into the light. Your spiritual gift is for the good of the church and the glory of Jesus. So church family, so Glorify Jesus. Be a participant in the body. Join the mission. Exercise your spiritual gift. Let me give you an example of, 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 for me, of how I experienced this. I am blessed to serve in the role that I do. I, I love what I do, and there's much about what I do in my job, in my role, that I enjoy. But in particular, 
when it comes to this topic, when I consider spiritual giftedness, it has become increasingly obvious to me that when I'm utilizing a certain spiritual gift, I am clearly dependent on the Lord, not independently manufacturing stuff. It is increasingly apparent to me that when I am using a spiritual gift that I'm empowered, that it's not my own power, it's power from the Lord. It's increasingly obvious to me that I'm strengthened in this activity, that when I'm in this hallway, that I'm being carried along by the Spirit. Church family, it's such that, 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 that when I'm done with this particular activity or time using this area of giftedness, it's just so apparent to me because I go, that wasn't me. I go, that wasn't me. Thank you, Lord. I get done with that period of time in a hallway, being filled with the Spirit, exercising a spiritual gift, and I just, I can tell that I've been in a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active. So what is your spiritual gift? You would love it if I would keep going for the next three days and give a seminar on every little spiritual gift and go over your, all the details of your life and explain to you your spiritual gift, but that's beyond the scope of what we're gonna do this morning. So if you're interested in what your spiritual gift is, you're gonna have a little homework to do. Um, I can't tell you what yours is. I, I would encourage you, it's worth discovering, but listen to this, don't miss this part. But I, I think it's worth discovering, thinking about, seeking, asking God for, but listen to this, don't stress about it. Here's what we tend to do. We tend to go, oh dear, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I can't serve the church. Where am I supposed to serve the church? If I don't know what my spiritual gift is, well, I guess I won't serve at all. Please don't do that, okay? It's important to consider our spiritual giftedness. I think it's a worthwhile study topic, but I don't want you to freak out about it. Um, I would, I would encourage you to start in the Bible, read the, the spiritual gift passages. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are, are probably the two key passages that give us an idea of spiritual gifts. They're not the only passages. I would encourage you to do some research. There's excellent resources out there, books, websites, where you could learn about spiritual gifts, where you could learn about what some of them are and what they mean. Uh, more importantly than that, what would I encourage you to do? If you're interested in what your spiritual gift is, go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to reveal you, ask him to begin to give you insight into where he's clearly at work in you and what your spiritual gift might be. And of course, talking to God about it is easily first and foremost, uh, first and foremost important, but you know what I'd recommend after that? I'd recommend talking to other believers in Jesus around you. Are you married? Is your spouse a believer? Ask them what they see in you. See the Holy Spirit at work in me. What is it when I do this or serve in this way or utilize this spiritual gift, where do you see fruit that's clearly not me, it's clearly God at work in me? I think you'd find that to be a beneficial conversation as you hear observations and feedback from those that love you and know you of where they see God at work in you, and that might give you an insight into what your spiritual gift is. 
A very practical note, in the, back, in the seat back of the, of the chair in front of you is a lift, list of places to serve in our church family. The reason for this sermon isn't to get you to fill that out. That's not the most important thing about this sermon, this message this morning. But if you're looking to know what your spiritual gift is, if you're interested in exercising your spiritual gift, that list is not exhaustive, but it might just stir your, your mind about ways to use your time and energy and gifts for the Lord's glory in our church family. And here's why. Okay, you ready? I'm wrapping up, but you ready? You with me? Church family, it's good to know what your spiritual gift is. I would pr- continue, urge you to consider it, but don't freak out. Don't wait and wonder what it is. Uh, Jump in. Serve. Do. Give of your time and energy. Uh, Serve your church family. Serve the community of Dallas. Serve the world in the name of Jesus. If you see something that catches your eye, catches your attention, something you'd be passionate about, something you think, I think maybe God might want to use me to do that, then do it. Let me just encourage you to not wait around and go, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Just jump in serve, serve others, serve Jesus in the process, try stuff. And you know what I think? I think along the way you'll discover your gift. And I think as you serve and try and jump in and discover your gift, watch God at work in you. As you discover your spiritual gift, watch God at work in you, glorifying Jesus through your life, being a blessing to the church family through your life, and, 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 and joining in God's mission to proclaiming Jesus to the ends of the world through your life, through who he's made you to be. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity this morning to study your word and to be reminded of these hallways where the Spirit is active. Father God, first and foremost, as we continue in our worship together this morning, we thank you for the cross. When we see this, this cross on the stage, may it remind us of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your rescue plan that you did not leave us stuck in our sin and unforgiven, but God, you pursued us because of your love and grace and mercy. You pursued us and rescued us when Jesus died in our place on the cross. God, we help us to recognize that we are recipients of your grace, that we have received benefit and of your love and mercy and grace. And yet, God, let us not just stop at being recipients, but would you move us to be participants in your mission, engaging in what you've called us to. God, may we not be just recipients of your grace, but instruments of your grace to those around us, to a hurting world that needs Jesus. Help us to serve others for the, and all to the glory of Jesus. Help us to serve others, not for what we get out of it, not to make ourselves look good, but so that we would point to Jesus in all that we do and that he would get all the glory. God, we thank you for a church family where we can gather, lift our eyes to you, exalt you together, and where we can gather and encourage one another, where we can gather and benefit from each other's spiritual giftedness and care and love. God, use us as you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.